Lord, we do declare as your church that you deserve all the glory and honor and praise. Lord, we declare once again, Lord, that this is your church, and we are so excited and and humbled at all that you're doing in and through Pennington Park. Lord, I pray that you would um, continue to create within us a posture of dependency upon you on every step that we take as a body, that you would guide and lead us and that we would turn and follow you. Lord, even as we look at Acts chapter 2, would you give us understanding? Would you challenge us? Would you convict us and teach us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we introduced the Impact Campaign, a three-year church-wide campaign to raise uh, funds for a moderate uh, building expansion project. And I mentioned last week that we were taking a, a, just a quick break from 1 Samuel last week and today to be able to address three main questions. Uh, number one, what kind of season are we in as a church right now? Number two, where are we headed? So what's next for us as a church And then thirdly, why do we believe that God is leading us in that particular uh, direction? Last week, I shared that we are in an exciting season, one that's filled with exponential growth, both spiritually and numerically speaking, uh, so much so that we are quickly running out of space in this building, and that is a good problem to have. Try to emphasize that. That's a wonderful issue to try to solve because the Lord's drawing people um, here. And so it naturally, though, begs the question, what is next? Like, where, where are we headed um, as a church? And what's next, as I shared, is to have greater gospel impact. That I want that to be the focus of our church. The, the building expansion project is just a tool. It's a means to accomplishing greater, deeper, lasting gospel impact for generations uh, to come. And we believe that God is opening up for us a strategic door uh, in order to influence uh, more and more people in this community. So that's the what and the where and the why. Today, I want to explore the idea of what an impactful church actually looks like. Uh, You've noticed we're calling this campaign impact. So you're going to be hearing that word uh, a lot over the next couple of months. So what does it mean uh, that a church is making an impact? What are some characteristics uh, that describe an impactful church? I think it's a really important question that I'm going to address this morning because uh, we all know the reality and the power of distractions. We feel this on an individual and personal basis. Uh, came across a study in the workplace of just how frequently people are distracted as they work. Uh, this study revealed that 84% of people are distracted at work on a daily basis. That on average, people are distracted at least four times a day. Now, that may not seem like a lot, four times, that's, that's not, not a big deal, uh, but this study also revealed that to fully recover focus after a distraction, it takes 23 minutes and 15 seconds. And so to do that four times uh, a day, uh, there are so many distractions at work. The most common ones are uh, email, text messages, coworkers, uh, hunger actually made uh, the list, and our personal smartphones, right? We all know even outside the workplace, just how distracted we are with our own phones, In fact, another study I read uh, revealed that the average American spends five hours and 24 minutes on their phones each and every day. They check their phones over 160 times per day or every 10 minutes, right? There's all kinds of studies. We are distracted people, right? We feel this on a daily basis. 
And yet what's so sad is that not only are we distracted as individuals, but what tends to happen is that even churches can become distracted. Uh, You might be surprised how easy it is for churches to lose sight of the Great Commission, of the mission that Jesus gave uh, the church to actually pursue and actually to accomplish. And it's not by bad things that churches become distracted. It's even good things. Uh, But what happens is that the the focus of a church becomes hijacked with what what feels like it's, it's urgent matters instead of what's most important. It's the tyranny of the urgent that that takes the focus of the church and moves it off uh, the Great Commission. And I know for me, and just speaking on behalf of the elders, we are wholeheartedly committed to not letting that happen. For us as a body, for us as a church, not letting our focus move away from the mission, but to keep it centered upon Jesus and what he's doing here. That's why I wanted to spend really this whole sermon on talking about what we want to aim for and aim toward as a body, what an impactful church actually looks like. And so for me, my perspective, there's really no greater picture than looking at the early church, looking at Acts chapter 2, at this impactful church, this church that's, that's influencing so many people, the community around it, and really just ask the question, what are some characteristics that describe this kind of church that's making um, an impact? So as we look at Acts chapter 2, God is transforming lives left and right. There is explosive growth happening, both exponentially with the the numerical side, but also spiritually speaking. If you look at verse 41 of chapter 2, it says that there were 3,000 people that got saved in one day and were added to that church. Just think about that for a moment. Think about that happened today at Pennington Park Church or next week at Easter. 3,000 people get saved and they're added to Pennington Park Church, right? That, that's explosive growth. Even verse 47, it says that the Lord added number to that church day by day, those who were being saved. It's the kind of growth that personally makes me a little bit nervous. I'm wondering like, who's shepherding these people? What's the discipleship pathway? And yet the Lord is using the early church here to impact the people around them, to impact that community. And so what are some characteristics that we see even in this passage, things that could help us stay the course, stay focused on Jesus and and the mission that he's given us. Well, here's characteristic number one that pops out to me. Verse 42 is that a church that's making impact is centered upon God's word, centered upon God's word. Look at verse 42. We're told that the believers here were devoted to a number of things. This word devoted, uh, it's an important word, obviously, in this passage, but it means to persist in. And because it's in the imperfect verbal form in the original language, it means that it's continual. It's ongoing. So their devotion wasn't inconsistent, wasn't up and down, wasn't dependent upon how they felt in that particular moment or the circumstances that they were going through. It was ongoing and it was continual. What what were they devoted to? Well, the first thing on that list is the apostles' teaching. It's teaching that uh, was authoritative because it was the Lord communicating through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now today, the New Testament scriptures form uh, the written deposits of the apostles' teaching. We have their teachings here in the New Testament. So when we read apostles' teaching, for us, that's referring to the New Testament. It's referring to the Word of God, to the Bible. 
So right off the bat here, we're seeing the Lord use the early church making an impact because they were devoted and dedicated and committed to being driven by the word of God. I know for us, one of our core values at Pennington Park Church is that we are driven by the Bible. You probably can see that out there on the lobby. Those are core values, our six core values that drive our church. And what we mean by being driven by the Bible is that the Bible is authoritative for our beliefs and our practices as a church. We believe the Bible is sufficient, not only for the Christian life, but for the ministries of the church. So every decision that we make, every sermon that's preached, all of our ministries, they are anchored in the word of God. We believe that the word does the work, that man's opinion, man's creativity, man's ideas, those are not what transforms people. Those are not what what changes us, what, what brings about life change. What transforms people is the word of God. That's why every song that we sing, every prayer that's prayed, every scripture passage that's read, every sermon that's preached, we're we're trying to create space for the Spirit of God to take the Word of God to transform the people of God. And we want the Word to do the work. And you see that here in the early church. They're devoted to the Word of God, which is not some small feat for them. I was thinking about the early church here and just all the things that the Lord was doing I mean, there are miracles happening. There there are healings. There are signs and wonders happening on a regular basis. And yet verse 42 says that they were devoted, first and foremost, not to the miracles, not to the healings. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. I was thinking, man, would I have that same devotion if we were seeing miracles happening, healings happening on a regular basis? How much of a distraction that could have served for the early church, and yet they are devoted to the word of God. Why? It's because they also knew that the word of God is what transforms lives. That they were ministering, living, serving with that reality that their greatest need is found in the word. I think that's important for us to keep in mind as we travel through this season of looking to expand our building That if we want to continue to have an impact, then we need to crave God's word more and not less. That we need to be driven by God's word more and not less. That the center of our church has to to be the powerful and authoritative and sufficient word of God. That's something that I think about all the time as I serve primarily in, in the preaching week in and week out. My prayer and my hope that as I preach every week, that you and I, we'd walk out of this room not saying, man, that was a powerful sermon. Like, I, I don't want to hear that. Like, my goal as I preach is for us to walk out of this room saying, man, we serve a great God. Like, I want you to be challenged and inspired and to have a deeper hunger for God's word because of what happens in this room. And I think that's what happened in the early church here. Look at verse 43, this This awe came upon every soul. Like verse 43, coming on the heels of verse 42, being devoted to a number of things. The first thing there, the apostles teaching, as a result, they had this this reverence and this wonder and this awe of who God is and all that God was doing in their midst. They're seeing God tangibly at work. I thought, man, yes and amen, that as the word goes forth in power, it should create awe in the people of God. That this type of experience 
is not at odds with doctrine. It's not beyond doctrine, but this type of awe and wonder of God flows out of good, deep, and solid doctrine. That we need more of that and not less. And I love this picture, this portrait of the early church and seeing a church that's making an impact because as they're growing wider, they're also growing deeper. And it's not one or the other. They're not really at odds with one another. But as the Lord is adding daily, 3,000 people get saved in one day, they're still growing deeper in the apostles' teaching and the deep doctrine that existed here in their midst. And that's also important for us to keep in mind. Because churches that grow wider without growing deeper, they're not growing in a sustainable manner. They're not growing even biblically. They're creating maybe temporary excitement, but it will fade over time. So we want to be able to grow deeper, even as the Lord draws more and more people here. But then the flip side of that, the other challenge, is that churches that tend to grow deeper without growing wider tend to, not always, but they tend to become inwardly obsessed. They tend to, 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 to not faithfully take the gospel next door to their neighbors and coworkers and friends who do not know Jesus. And so here the example is that gospel depth should produce gospel fruitfulness, that we see the, the early church growing in depth and in width. In the past, I've used a, a metaphor of an airplane to kind of describe the kind of church that, that we want to be here, that if a church is an airplane— then the engine is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with an airplane, an airplane should have two wings, right? If it wants to fly, if it wants to do what it's supposed to do. And for us, one of those wings is evangelism. Like we do want to be faithful in sharing the gospel with the people that the Lord has put in our path of life. But then the other wing is discipleship. That yes, we, we do want to mature, we do want to grow as followers of Jesus. And so even within this airplane, most churches tip one way or the other. I know we've gone through seasons where we've tipped one way or the other, but we believe that you don't have to pick one. I think the gospel is big enough and powerful enough to fuel both, to grow both in depth and in width as the Lord is in control of the results. You know, there's always kind of a debate among churches. Should the church be a come and see approach where, hey, the whole goal is to get people in here so they can come and see and hear about Jesus as if this is the only space where people get saved? Or is it a go and tell? Or, no, 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 you're supposed to go out and share the gospel and make sure Monday through Saturday you're living faithfully. Well, I think it's both. Like, again, we don't have to pick one. It can be both a come and see, come and hear about Jesus, come and learn about God's word, be filled up, so that throughout the week, you can faithfully minister to the people that God has put on your path. I think you see that with the early church here. They were so filled up with God's word, making an impact as the Lord was providing growth. So that's the first, first characteristic we want to be committed to. We want to be centered upon God's word. Here's the second thing, though, is life-transforming fellowship. Life-transforming fellowship. This is... You know, thinking about the early church, one of the first things that pops into my mind is their fellowship, their, their togetherness, their, their unity as they are united doing God's work together. That toxic individualism is nowhere to be seen. And we see that in verse 42. 
Verse 42, another thing they're devoted to, not only to the apostles' teaching, but to the fellowship. Now, this Greek word for fellowship is the, the word koinonia, and it literally means to share in common. It means to have this intimate communion, this intimate fellowship. It's a word that often is described uh, for a, a husband and a wife as they are communing together and fellowshipping together. And it's amazing that they're devoted to this, to this kind of reality relationally in the early church. Like Luke, the author of Acts, is pointing to this kind of fellowship to highlight the personal and interactive character of the relationships that should exist in the church. Now, when you think about fellowship, there's all kinds of definitions and understandings about fellowship. But let me just on the front end here point out two ditches to avoid when you think about fellowship. The first idea of fellowship is this type of like lone ranger Christianity where there's almost like a stiff arm towards fellowship. Where some people think, man, if I got me, my Bible, and Jesus, like I'm good. Like I don't need accountability. I don't need encouragement. Like, Like I've got all that I need with the Bible and with Jesus, I'm fine. Right? That's one ditch to avoid because biblically and pragmatically speaking, it doesn't work very well. But then the second ditch to avoid is to basically view the church as just a social club and nothing more. Like the church is where it's like e-harmony for friendships, right? Where, where I can just have my little friendships here, my little networks, but that's all that it really is. Right? Those are two kind of extremes that we need to avoid when we think about this idea of fellowship. But rather, what we see here is that these relationships existed for the purpose of carrying out the mission of God in and through those individuals. That yes, they had friendships, but there's real life change happening. They're being transformed by the power of the gospel. I mean, just notice this description here, just in this chunk of, of, of Acts chapter two, they're not just sitting around like talking about the weather or talking about Rome or whatever was happening there. Notice the life change that was happening and occurring. The end of verse 42, they are devoted to prayer. Uh, Verse 42, again, they're devoted to the breaking of bread, which likely referred to communion, right? This this ordinance given to the church, that they're, they're selling their possessions and giving to those in need, verse 45. Verse 46, they're committed and attending not only kind of church at the temple, but they're gathering in each other's homes, Right? They're, they're experiencing real biblical fellowship, this robust, intimate, palpable fellowship that was both attractive, but it was also the vehicle God was using to grow and change his people. And I love this. Like This is what I think about when I think about a healthy church. It's not only centered upon God's word, but there's this palpable, tangible, relational connectedness that exists within that particular body. And that is something that we are committed to. That's something that I think all of us love about Pennington Park Church. In fact, that's one of our core values is that we are known and embraced, right? What that means is we don't want to just warmly greet you on Sunday. We want to know you. We don't just want to know you superficially. We want to deeply know you so we can best care and love and accept you in Jesus. And that's really important to make sure that 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 cultural value is maintained and preserved even as we continue to grow. But also, please know, it's it's a two-way street. Like, I can say it up here. 
Your elders want that. Leadership of the church wants that. But you've got to want that. Like you've got to want to be known and embraced here. And I think that that can be a challenge. Some of us have been burned by the church in the past. And so you look at that known and embraced cultural value, you're like, man, I don't want anything to do with that. Or maybe you're just wired more, you want to be more isolated relationally. And so the known and embraced piece really freaks you out, in particular the word embraced. Probably have an allergic reaction to that, right? Well, for us, like our, our vision is to line up with what the New Testament kind of portrays a healthy church uh, to be. And understanding for us, like when we think about church, all kinds of different metaphors. One of the biggest metaphors that drives kind of how we think about Pennington Park Church, how we make decisions, how we form the culture here, is that the church is a family. Church is a family. Ephesians 2 speaks into this. That so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God or the family of God. That's our understanding of church, that this is family. And so if your vision is to come into this church, slip in, get what you need spiritually and slip out and not be known or embraced, like that, this church may not be the right fit for you. And I say that out of love. I say that just to put my cards on the table and make sure that you know expectations, uh, what they're like here at this church. Like our vision is for you to be known and embraced, not for you to slip in and slip out and kind of get on your day. Again, say that lovingly. Just want you to know what our expectations are of what a healthy church actually looks like. I've used this before. <laughs> I think it's effective. I, my vision here is, is not to have like the church version of our Home Depot experience, right? Men, especially, we typically go into Home Depot and we've got this weird thing that we do there. We've got like this unspoken goal that we're not going to talk to anybody, right? We're going to get what we need. We don't need any assistance. We don't need any help. We, we slip in there, make no eye contact, get what we need, get out, and we're on with our day, right? Guys, we typically do that. Some people want their church experience to be just like that, or they slip in, they get what they need, their spiritual products, and then they slip out and they're on with their day. That, that's not our vision here. Our vision is more like Taco Tuesdays at your house where, yeah, hey, everyone's welcome. There's going to be a seat at the table. You're going to be known. You're going to be loved. You're going to be well-fed. Sure, it's a little messy. You know, we got the crazy uncle there and, you know, the, the, the weird nephew who's always double-dipping, right? We got some aspects of our church that's a little imperfect. Like, we get that. But the reality is, is that this is family, like we're committed to one another. We, we want to know you and love you and, and make sure that we're taking steps and, be, and looking more and more like Jesus. And so we want to continue, even whatever the numbers are, we, we want to continue making the relational connectedness a value that's preserved and maintained because we believe that leads to greater impact. Thirdly, another characteristic of the earlier church making an impact is that the believers there were participants. They were not spectators. Love this powerful theme that runs throughout the book of Acts. God's most effective vehicle for gospel impact is actually just normal, regular people. It's the church. It's not just the leaders. God's using the believers, the early church here, to impact the lives of those around them. The whole church was actively looking for ways to use their gifts and to serve 
others. And that's what we want here at this church. We, we want to move away from toxic individualism or having this mindset of, I'm just going to kind of sit back and watch ministry happen, right? It's 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, right? We want to move away from that. And we want to move toward this all-in active participation where we're serving, using our gifts, being known, and being in community. We believe that that is a healthy church when the, the members, at least, are actively engaging in the mission of that particular body. Did you know that there are 60, over 60 different one another commands in the New Testament? Love one another, serve one another, encourage one another. It's impossible to be obedient to those commands if you're a spectator or if you have the, the lone ranger type of Christianity approach. There's a lot of commands that are impossible to actually fulfill and live out unless you are being actively engaged, being a participant in the local church. And so for us, our desire is to have a two plus one engagement. Two plus one. The two is Sunday mornings where you are attending a worship service, and then the second service is that you're serving, that you're actually using your gifts. So you're not just coming in here and being filled up, but you're also finding a way to serve the body. That's the two. And then the one is that you're participating in a small group, that you're actively in community where you're known and you are actually embraced. We believe that type of participatory mindset is most healthy for a church to continue to, to have their focus be on Jesus. Look, I understand some of us are here today and you're not actively engaged in our church. Like you do have that slip in, slip out type mindset. Look, I, I just want to challenge you to consider taking a step in, in this particular season, even, even today, thinking through what would it look like for me to be more actively engaged in this church? Maybe for some, you need to take that step and become a member of our church. we got an upcoming membership class on April 16th. would love you to participate in that and learn more about our church. Others of us here, you need to serve. The, the Holy Spirit has gifted you spiritually to, to use that gift to edify the church and the people around you. And some of us need to take that step and serve. Some of us need to join a small group, be in community. But just want to challenge you, where do you need to take a step and become more actively engaged, be a participant in this church and not a spectator. And then fourthly, the last characteristic here is that this church was extravagantly generous. Verse 45 almost, almost sounds strange what they did. Like verse 45, the fact that they're selling their possessions, some are selling private property, they're selling their belongings, their earthly things, and they're taking the proceeds there and they're meeting the needs of the people around them. Like that is countercultural. That, that's almost bizarre. Like if we, if we heard another church doing that in our area, we'd be like, man, what is happening over there? And I love that because, and this isn't like a, a band-aided thing for all churches at all times and all places, but I think the timeless principle that we can lift from verse 45 and apply in our own, con in our own context is to move away from having an owner mentality and to embrace having a stewardship mentality. That you and I, we don't own anything. That God actually owns it all. I know we talked about this last August, but it's such a good reminder that if we truly believe that everything belongs to God, that nothing is mine, like every second of the day, 
Every breath that we breathe is a gift from God. Every dime that we own is actually God's. Every relationship, our personalities, the family we were born into, you didn't choose that, right? God chose that for you, right? Your work ethic, your strengths, your gifts, all of those things, it's actually a gift from the Lord. If we truly believe that, then the question is not, how should I spend and use A, B, and C? That's not the right question. The right question is, God, this actually belongs to you. So how do you want me to use or spend A, B, and C? It completely changes the focus because nothing is mine. It all belongs to the Lord. And you see that with the early church. They're selling off stuff because they understand this actually belongs to God and there are real needs around me. Why should I hold these things with a closed fist, the white knuckles, right? This is mine. No, they move to this type of position where it's open-handed. They say, God, you own it all. It, it all belongs to you. So how do you want to use it in order to serve and impact the people around me? It's an amazing example of the early church that led to such great impact. They had this open-handed generosity. But not only that, look at verse 45. It was sacrificial, right? Like selling their possessions. Like that probably hurt in order to, to meet the needs of people around them. And that's a good reminder for us as we think about what generosity means, what it looks like, it's almost never convenient. And yet for them, they're not giving out of excess or surplus. They're having to give up things. This is costly. This, is, this had a big impact on their own lives as they're generous and being faithful and obedient to the Lord. But then verse 46 also tells us something about their generosity. It was joy-filled. It was joy-filled. They were glad to do it. They were glad to sell off things in order to meet the needs of the people around them. Why? Why were they glad to do that? Why is there joy in giving? It's because for the early church, they found something better than money and things. They had Jesus. And so many people cannot be generous because they worship the very thing that they're supposed to give away. And yet for the early church here, their, their focus was on Jesus. They, they had Jesus. They understood how incredibly rich they were in Jesus. And so they lived open-handedly, they lived sacrificially, and they lived with joy as they saw the Lord use them in order to make an impact on those around them. Verse 47 speaks to that. They had favor with all the people. Imagine that. Like, like their impact was starting to be felt and experienced by the surrounding community. That this healthy church, their vibrancy, the, the unity of living out the mission of God was starting to impact the community. And it was infectious. Like this is a portrait. This is a picture of what we want to be here at Pennington Park Church. And that by God's grace, we'll continue to have a greater gospel impact in this community. Well, where we are as a church right now, it really feels like, this metaphor keeps popping up in my mind, it really feels like we are a young family with two children, and mom and dad are praying and considering growing their family and having another baby. And if you've ever been through that season, for most families, 
they are considering a number of factors before they make that decision to grow their family. They're thinking about where they are financially, right? Are we in a healthy place? Because adding another human into the mix, into the mix is very expensive. Secondly, though, they're, they're considering their space. They're considering, do we have enough bedrooms? Do we have enough bathrooms in order to have another baby? But then thirdly, they're considering the health of the family. They're considering, is our marriage in a good place, right? There's no baby that fixes a broken marriage. And it really feels like we're, we're in that kind of season right now, where by God's grace, and yes, we have a mortgage that we're paying, but by God's grace and your generosity, we're in a really healthy place financially. I think the health of our church, by God's grace, is really strong as we look at the engagement level of our members here. God is transforming lives every week. The problem is space. The problem is we've got these children and we're like throwing them in closets. We're, we're trying to figure out, you know, how to have a meal together, people hanging from the ceilings, right? And yet more people want to come. The Lord's drawing more people in. They, they want to be fed God's word. And so this season, it's really exciting for us to consider the fact that we could be adding space to the family of God here at Pennington Park Church, to, to have more room for more people to be known, to be loved, and to be well-fed so they can know Jesus and make him known. See, expanded capacity can lead to greater gospel impact. That's what we want here. And it's going ha- to involve every single one of us, 100% participation in raising enough funds in order to make that a reality. Not, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice for us collectively to come together to see what could the Lord do if all of us came together and we said, you know what, Lord, you own it all. Let's see what you can do if we rally together for him to make a gospel impact in and through our church. I want that. And I trust and know that you probably want that as well. So here's some action steps, some call, um, uh, some different action steps that we mentioned even last week. Uh, just to remind you during the season, especially, just continue to pray. Pray for the Lord to continue to put his hand upon us as a church to, to lead us, to guide us, to, to confirm this is the next step for us. And then secondly, we just continue to encourage you to learn more. We passed out those in, impact campaign booklets last week. If you didn't pick up one, they're on the tables outside the sanctuary. Please grab it and read through it. Kind of explains the vision, the plan, and uh, the timeline. We also have a couple more building expansion info meetings coming up uh, April 19th and April 30th. We gave um, kind of a general overview at the member meeting last Sunday night. These meetings are uh, basically meant to get into the details of it. Uh, So if that interests you, love for you to come out and learn more. And then thirdly, begin now to just consider how you might participate in this campaign, how the Lord might be leading you uh, to join us in that. And then fourthly, ask that you would reflect on these four characteristics and to just ask the Lord, Lord, where do I need to grow in in being a person who's living um, with impact through the gospel? And perhaps you need to take a step today to do that more faithfully. We are excited for what the Lord's doing. We're excited for this season and all that he's going to do in and through this church for the glory of his name. Let's pray together. God, we do praise you and we thank you, Lord, that this is your church We pray as Hebrews 12 instructs us that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. 
Lord, help us to be reminded that this season, this building expansion project is not the goal. This is not why the church exists. The church exists for your mission. Lord, we want more people to know Jesus. We want to know Jesus in a deeper way, and we want to make him known to people around us. So God, we ask that you would just continue to go before us. Lord, give us wisdom where we lack it. Give us discernment. We pray that you would continue to confirm this direction, Lord, as we follow after you. We'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.